Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. One of my favorite poets and authors is Annie Dillard, and she once said, Our life is a faint tracing on the surface of mystery. This is Stephen Moe, and you're listening to Seeds Talking Purpose. Today we'll be speaking with John Hammond, who's going to be sharing the journey of his life and the unique perspective that he offers when you think about life and living. Here's an excerpt from the interview with John. The messages I give my boys, Derek and Jack, is the same as what I sort of figured for myself when, after Derek was killed back in, you know, um, 82, and that is just, you know, if, you know, take the opportunities that come. Don't be sort of overly, you know, I've got to plan my future from here to here to here to here. And for me, you know, I'd love my boys to be around and see them more often, but they're in London and I think it's fantastic. Now in the coming weeks, we're going to be having a variety of people that we talk to, including Joanna Pigeon, who's the president of the Auckland District Law Society, as well as Ben Atkinson, who founded Fill Their Lunchbox here in Christchurch. If you hit subscribe, you'll be sure not to miss those upcoming episodes, and also check out some of the earlier ones, because this is the 18th in a series of interviews with inspiring people about their lives and the choices they make. So there's a lot more stories to be heard. Now, without further ado, let's get into the interview with John. All right, well, we'll just get started. Yep. Um, it's a pleasure to welcome John Hammond here today. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. On this podcast, we talk a lot about purpose, but mm-hmm. in order to do that, uh, we, we also talk about people's lives and, and where they're from and things. But I feel like with this conversation, um, we need to talk about your diagnosis just to start from the beginning, to, because that, sure. I think, is going to color the whole conversation. So are you able to share with us um, what's happened for you recently? Yeah, sure. So I had, um, you know, I've had a business called Beck and Call and I had sold it um, and I finished at the end of July and my wife and I uh, this time last year had actually organised to have almost two months in Europe. Our two sons, Derek and Jack, uh, 28 and 25 and they live in London and so we had decided we would head over that way and I'd sort of planned a bit of a trip and what have you. But on arrival in London um, early in uh, August, I, my health started to deteriorate and over the space of uh, basically two weeks I got quite um, ill and on the advice from a friend back here who's a medical um, expert, uh, he said get to London, so we did and uh, within a day was diagnosed that I have um, uh, lung cancer and that it's metastasized to the brain and uh, that it's not survivable in their words. Uh, So it really um, then comes down to a matter of time. And I suppose that, you know, clearly, you know, I was about to turn 60 and, you know, quite a lot of my life ahead of me. And and I suppose it was clearly a shock. Um, But... In some ways, it was a bit of a blessing that we were in London when I found this out because my two sons were, were with us. So they've sort of shared the journey with Aaron and I. And then we had the choice of where to be um, 
we had to have treatment because basically what they're trying to do at the moment is to extend life and also to ensure that the quality of life is good. And so, you know, for people that run into me in the street or whatever at the moment, most people think I'm, I've retired and mm. I'm just swanning around because I don't look any different. Yeah, but I have to say, when you, when you came in the office today to, for this interview, I wouldn't have said, you know, that there was anything wrong. And, and, yep. you, and you cycled here as well, didn't you? Like, yes. yep. you know, it, it's... Uh, well, they've, uh, they've now allowed me to cycle, although there right. are strict instructions. I have to be very careful on the road. They don't really want me on the road, but mm. bike lanes and that kind of stuff. No going up and down hills. Mm-hmm. I have, obviously, I'm at risk of, uh, of a stroke or, or some sort of seizure um, because of the, uh, the cancer that's on the brain as well. But, you know, you just have to manage your life around what you've got. I mean, my energy levels are um, decreased quite a lot. Mm. You know, I get quite tired by not doing a hell of a lot. Mm. Um, but other than that, um, you know, I do, I do pretty good, mm. you know. So, so uh, I, I think obviously this is going to cover our whole conversation, um, but I just thought it was important to talk yep. about that at the beginning so that people sure. know the context Yep. Um, but what I'd love to do is is hear your life story and hear about your journey. I guess that will then give us context to talk about um, that prognosis and the news and how it's impacted yep. your life and and your attitude. Yep. Um, sure. So if we could go back right to the beginning of your life, where did you come from? Uh, so my father was a bank manager. So I was born in 1957. And back in those days, bank managers, <coughs> without... Um, computers and you know fast communications generally got moved from branch to branch every three years so that they didn't form relationships with their clients so in other words they didn't get in a position of signing off a loan to you so you could buy a house when actually you didn't really qualify right so that was sort of the context of how my father worked so every three years they seemed to move mm. so my sisters were born Actually, I'm not too sure where my two older sisters were born now. It might have been Wellington or it might have been Christchurch. I don't know. But um, I was born in Tauranga. Mm-hmm. And um, after three years there, my father was shifted to Greymouth. And so I had three years there. And then he was shifted to Brighton. And that was back in the day that Brighton was the only suburb in the country that had um, Saturday shopping. Mm. So it was a really big and, f- and busy branch. And so we had, uh, I lived down at South Brighton, that's where I sort of really grew up, grew up from sort of six until about 12. I spent a lot of time at the beach, mm. you know, morning, noon and night if I could. It was a great, I, I really enjoyed my childhood down there, mm. had some good friends and what have you. Uh, but then uh, mum and dad, uh, were, or dad was shifted to Auckland uh, and he went up there for a few months to sort of see whether it was going to work or not. My oldest sister was about to do school cert. And mum and dad made the decision that he was going to leave the bank, which back in sort of late 60s was mm. a pretty radical kind of call. Mm. Uh, but he did. And then, um, and so they then bought a jewellery shop and, mm. and moved to the other side of town. And um, I went to Christ College. I had, um, I had great um, plans to continue in my father. My father had been at Boys High. And one day I was told I was going to Christ College. I just did not understand it. And as a kid, you got you, you, you go to the school you get sent to and you have nothing to compare it to. So I don't know whether it was good, bad or indifferent. It was just the right. school I ended up going to. Mm. 
So it was a childhood that had some movements around, but basically Christchurch for you was home. That's my like. memory, yeah. really. I have very few, I have no memories of Tauranga, mm-hmm. and I have a few memories of um, of Greymouth, mm-hmm. uh, but my childhood memories really are, are of South Brighton, where, mm-hmm. where we had a house. And know. it sounds like it was an outdoors childhood yeah, on the beach. So. And yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. I, you know, I had a, I had a great childhood. Yeah. Yep. And how would you describe yourself as maybe when you're in your in high school years? Um, I was a bit of a, a loner. I didn't quite fit. Obviously, my mum and dad were not overly um, well off, and you know, I'd been sent to a you know a, a pretty well off school, and you know, you run into kids who come from pretty wealthy backgrounds and what have you. And back in those days, I don't know what it's like now, but it was yeah, it was either you were in the in crowd or you weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, I was incredibly fortunate. I ran into a guy who became my very best mate on one of the very first days there who just noticed I was standing on my own and and he came over and started talking to me and we just struck up a friendship that was, for as long as he was alive, it was amazing. So I was incredibly blessed in that respect. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And what sort of subjects did you enjoy in high school? Um, maths was what I loved, mm. yep. Um, I wasn't a great scholar. I was bright, but I was never motivated enough. Mm. My parents will tell you this if you wish, or my mother. My father's gone now, but uh, my my reports uh, were continual for five years of you know could do better. I see. <laughs> you know, and you know, looking back, yeah, I'd have to agree. But you know, in some respects, I sometimes think that for some some people they can be incredibly self motivated, and for me. Uh, I was never overly self-motivated in, in doing study. I was, you know, I enjoyed sport and I wasn't good at it at all, really. Um, you know, never made a, a, a great rugby team, never made the great cricket teams or, or anything, but I just, I loved it. Yeah. And school was just like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Probably and didn't do myself a lot of favours, but that's just, you know. Yeah. Yep. And, and what came next after high school? Did uh, you so stay I, around? I, my, my career's advice wasn't great, and this might not sound great in terms of the school, but um, it, my career's advice with the careers master lasted about 30 seconds was, oh, you're doing uh, maths. It's very good. You're doing applied maths, yes, chemistry, physics. You should do engineering. I, I thought engineering was, was fixing cars. I actually didn't understand what engineering was at the time, but anyway, I enrolled at university and did engineering intermediate. But in that year, I, I saw a woman that I I decided I really wanted to get to know, mm. and um, I ended up marrying her, but it took a very long time until she agreed to even go out with me. <laughs> um, and I also joined the university ski club, mm. and I learned how to ski. And so at the end of the year, I in my six subjects, I got six E's, and that was in the day that E's didn't stand for excellence. <laughs> it um, was consistent then. <laughs> yes, I was very consistent. Yeah. When you saw your future wife, was that a quite an instant thing? Of for me, it was it? really yeah. Absolutely. As in almost the love at first sight type of absolutely. Wow. Do you, so you remember that moment? And absolutely. Tell us about it. I was at the university ski club uh, AGM, and I was sitting in the, one of those big lecture theatres at the university, and. She was down near the front, and the guy who was the president at the time, another good friend, uh, had stood up and said, if you don't know people and you want to meet people, then join the committee. Mm. And he said, just tap somebody on the shoulder if you don't know anybody and, and tell them. And I sat there thinking, well, yeah, I won't do that. Mm. But then at some stage, Erin 
who is my wife, stood up and because she was being introduced. And I thought, bloody hell, I want to get on this committee. So I tapped the guy on the shoulder in front of me and I said, this is my name, John Hammond. Get me on this committee. I don't care what it is. Wow. I'll do whatever they want. Gosh. <laughs> and so I was on the committee like that. But um, Amazing. it was over a year until she went out with me. Right. Mm. So there was some convincing to be done. There was a lot of convincing to be done. <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful story. I don't think though. she noticed me for the first year. Right. You, you were on the committee together, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. But you were up skiing as well, as it sounds like. I did a lot so, of skiing in yeah. that year. Yeah. So, yes, I didn't do very much study at all. In fact, one of the exams, I remember sitting there, and I read the whole paper, and I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. Right. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I did... Um, then decide, well, I need to knuckle down. Mm. I'm very good at maths, so I'll, I'll change from engineering and do commerce. Right. And so I applied to the dean uh, to see if I could get in and do the commerce papers, but I was refused entry. So mm. I actually appealed to the university council, hmm. and I had to go up in front of the whole council and state my case. Hmm. And at the end of that, they still refused me. <laughs> so, so I went off and... Um, I got uh, I got a job in a um, an accounting firm in Christchurch and did about eighteen months with them. Um, why, why had you wanted to be in university so badly? I, I, I don't know. Actually, I suppose I'm not sure I did want to be at university mm. so badly. Actually, it was one, just one of knew. those things. It was kind of like the careers advice was. Mm. You know, you sort of walked in and the master looked at you and went over your subjects and mm. said, "Well, this is what you should do." And it was like, "Oh, okay." I didn't have any burning ambition. I mean, I'm I'm 60 now, and I probably still sit here not really sure what I want to be when I grow up. And that's it might sound a bit trite or whatever, but mm. actually that's sort of been something I've said mm. throughout my life. Really, I don't. I've never really had any great mm. ambition or thought about what I want to be. Mm. I've just um, and some people might say, well, I've just drifted through life, mm. but. I've I've done a whole range of different things mm. and I've taken opportunities yeah. that have arisen. Yeah. Well, that um, was what the phrase I was going to say. You've taken the opportunities as they yeah. presented themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why is that? Do you think? Like looking back. It, yeah, it's sort of hard to know, really. Um, I don't know. I um, I did early on. I did quite a lot of work in bars and restaurants, uh, serving people. I I really get a kick out of serving people, mm. and I know that a lot of people look at people who are working in in hospitality and and think that they're in you know they're they're in between jobs or whatever else but mm. i have always i've loved it i've really enjoyed mm. providing really good service mm. and trying to be discreet and out of the way you know add a little bit of fun if you think that that's what the people are looking for mm. it but sounds my like wife and i spent some time in europe in, in the early 80s three and a half years and and I remember working with people in in Europe, in mm. hotels and, and, and restaurants, mm. and some of them had been doing it for 50 years, mm. and it was a real source of pride. You know, that these guys, this was their career. This mm. is what they did. It was a path that they'd chosen. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I loved working with those people because they were incredibly professional about how they went about their work. Mm. And you can get a real bit of satisfaction out of, out of doing that kind of work well. Mm. So, yeah. I think you're right. And I think sometimes people elevate, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or a Facebook founder or something oh, as yeah. like the ideal person. <laughs> but actually, a lifetime spent in a service industry 
you know, working in a yeah. hotel for 50 years, but doing it excellently and yeah. really providing and, you know, meeting a need for people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So um, you went off and joined this accounting firm? Was that yep. So I did uh, about 18 months there. I I did a whole range of jobs. I won't, I won't go right through them all, sure. but um, I did end up uh, doing a winter at Temple Basin, um, which mm. was the university ski clubs thing. I, I uh, had a job up there running the... Um, hire of uh, equipment and whatever Mm -hmm. and um, ski patrol and then I had another year up there when I ran the mountain Mm -hmm. uh, was the mountain manager Um, I did a whole range of different jobs Uh, in between I did about three years I I walked into what was Noah's hotel in in the time it's now um, well it's empty at the moment but it's Mm -hmm. the one that looks like a a whiskey bottle Mm -hmm. Um, I talked myself into a trainee manager's job there Mm. And and I had three years working there. It was great. Learnt a lot. Mm. Um, and I worked in different areas in the in the kitchens and housekeeping. Um, I ended up as the maitre d in the Waitangi restaurant, which back in the day was you know a very high class restaurant. Mm. And then uh, did time on the front desk and as an assistant manager, and then the banquet manager. Mm. So yeah. I had, Great experience there. Yeah, and a lot of quite fun. a diversity of jobs. It sounds like. Yeah. Can I just pick on one of those, which is the ski field and yes. mm-hmm. and being up there? Mm-hmm. What was it that you enjoyed about being out? It was being outdoors. Yep. It was being outdoors, and um, you know, Temple Basin. It's a club area, so the um, it's got uh, rope toes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are big challenges about that. There's um, there's no grooming on the ski area. So it was quite a, and it was a very different environment. It's nothing like the health and safety environment here nowadays. I mean, yes, mm. we tried to make the place safe and whatever else, but um, it certainly wasn't the t- sort of focus that it is nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I've always loved skiing, and I, I went to Japan when I was twenty and twenty twenty one, and worked at a ski resort for three months. And one of my favorite moments of the day was to be one of the first ones to get to the top of the mountain. Yep. And if it had snowed the night before or, you know, they, they'd groomed it there. But, you know, to be the first one to be going down the mountain, mm. there was always something really special about that. Did, was well, it similar for you? Or? Very similar. And, of course, you you made sure that you were the first. And yeah. you <laughs> didn't let anybody come up the lift until you had actually checked that the mountain was safe and of course right. you could often get down to the bottom and go I don't think it is safe yet I'll go back and have another check. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have another yeah. work <laughs> but of course part of the problem then was I was the similar age to most of the people that were up there who were all friends and you know people yeah. know everybody it's a club ski area and right you'd so you couldn't get, get away with you'd it. get lynched <laughs> if you tried that too often yeah. so yeah no yeah. it's good yeah, yeah. Well, that's good and where did your um, career path sort of take you next and, um, and was it always here in Christchurch you mentioned Europe as well so yes so uh, I suppose at that stage uh, the, the the friend that I spoke about uh, that befriended me at, at Christ College mm. was killed in a in a um, in an accident and um, I went through a pretty dark patch at that stage How my wife and I had been married by then uh, for mm. about two years mm. and I suppose it was one of those defining moments in our life that we a lot of our friends were thinking about having families and what have you, but we, we, I mean, we'd been married when we were 22, 23, something like that. Right. Uh, so this was like 24, um, 25. 24, 25. Wow, pretty young. And just can you go through a little bit in terms of your friend who had the accident yep. and how did that lead to your decision to go to Europe? I suppose I it, it, it really struck home that actually you never know what's in front of you. I didn't want to 
waste an opportunity, I suppose. I'd, I had an anchoring that I wanted to travel. And I suppose it's one of the interesting things, you know, if we go back to my diagnosis, and a, a, a number of people have said to me uh, uh, since then, so what's on your bucket list? What do you want to do? And I suppose my comment to that is I don't, I don't actually have a bucket list. Mm. I have done what I've wanted to do as I've gone through life. Mm. And I think a lot of that stems back to when my friend was killed. I just thought you just don't want to be in the position of looking back and regretting that you haven't taken an opportunity when it's there. Mm. And so that has coloured a bit of my life. I've probably made some decisions that have been a bit rash and whatever about what I've ended up doing, but I just, you know, for me, it's worked. No, that's good. Yep. And that then informed your decision to yep. go off to Europe, whereas friends were having kids and things. And yep. you thought, and we just, Erin uh, and I just thought, well, maybe I was running away. Mm. You know, I found it very difficult to talk to anybody about um, about Derek. That's mm. actually, I've, I've called, or Erin and I named our first son Derek, mm. and mm. my friend was Derek. And I suppose we just, at, at that time, we just thought this might be, mm. this might snap me out of. You know, I was sort of getting into a quite a depressed state and mm, mm. I couldn't talk to anybody. If somebody wanted to mention his name, I'd sort of leave the conversation. Right. You know, yeah. I look back at it now and I know that that's, I was depressed and whatever. At the time, I had no idea. You mm. know, you just sort of blindly. Yeah, you're not aware. Yeah. You know, carry on trying to sort of get through day by day kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Mm. No, that's good. Thank you. And we just decided we were going to, we, we had owned a house at that stage and we put it on the rent and, mm. um, or, you know, rented it out and, um, and headed to Europe. Mm. We had a one-way ticket and thought, well, well, we'll go and see what, we'd had friends who had um, told us that there was, you know, you could get a job in Switzerland and we'd applied for that at, at a little hotel and got the jobs. Mm. So we headed that way to Europe to start with and, and away we went. And yep. was that partly centred around skiing again? That, that was definitely yeah. skiing. It was in the yeah. middle of a ski area in the yeah. um, Jungfrau region. So the main uh, city at the bottom of the of the mountains is Interlaken. Mm. Um, and um, and so we had a uh, we, we had a little bit of time in England first, but then headed across for the winter in Switzerland. And mm. and then uh, we basically for the three and a half years that we were there, we would work for three or four months, and then we would travel and spend whatever money we'd earned. And then when we started running out of money, we would mm. figure out where we were going to earn some money. Earn some more. Get another job. And so we did some work in, in Switzerland uh, in, a, in a hotel pension in, um, in Germany uh, for part of one summer. We did some live-in work in the UK. We worked in hotels. We mm. worked on narrowboats uh, for two summers in the UK, mm. running hotel narrowboats, which was fascinating and just a fantastic lifestyle outdoors, mm. traveling at three miles an hour right. at the most <laughs> on the canals. Um, you can get off looking, and walk beside it. Exactly, and, yeah. and, and looking after 12 guests each week and wow. um, with two other staff. And we, we, we had a great, that was a fantastic experience. Mm. Six months each summer, yeah. yeah. So you actually saw a lot of Europe in depth, didn't you? I yes, mean, we did. As, as yep. both a tourist, but also living yep. and working in the places. Yeah, we did We did a bit of travel after Switzerland one year and, and drove in our camper vans down through Yugoslavia, as, mm. as it was in those days, and into Greece and then over and all the way down through 
uh, Turkey. Mm. Yeah, so it was what, what years was this again? Early 80s? So this was or? between 83 and 80. We got back here in 87. Okay. Mm. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So it was an interesting time to be in Europe, Yeah, it was Europe, fascinating. It? Yeah. 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 Yep. Part of it was at the time that the Rainbow Warrior was bombed over here, and we happened to be in France at the time. That wasn't overly <laughs> comfortable. Right. Had a few interesting experiences there, um, but... Like what sort yeah, of things? Or just conversations, you mean, or uh, actual trying to leave, leave, uh, you know, going from France into Belgium. On we were on a canal boat at the time. Actually, we were having a busman's holiday, so to speak, yeah. and we got collared by the local gendarme and taken off to the the you know cop station and searched. And you know they thought we had drugs on board and they oh. ripped stuff apart out of our bags because we were Kiwis and. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't overly comfortable. It was a bit of a concern yeah. at the time. Yeah. Very happy to get through into Belgium and get a bit of yeah. um, Stella Artois into the body again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. I can imagine. Yeah. So then you'd been there for three or so years, and then yep. you made a decision to come back to New Zealand. Was yes. that something that you, you were always planning to do? Like, was New Zealand um, home, or had had there been yeah. an option to yes, stay? Yes, I think or? New Zealand was home. I think I probably would have stayed and done a few more years like that, but I think Aaron... You know, Aaron was very keen to come home and, and you know, um, I, I was, you know, that was a fine decision. Mm. We were, I was happy with it. Yeah. And we it. came home and on our first weekend at home, my dad uh, had given me the newspaper and there was a job being advertised with the Mount Cook Group, mm. uh, just working in their ski holiday reservations area. Mm-hmm. And um, and I thought, well, it's a, you know, it's a, you know tourism you love skiing um i yeah. like skiing yeah that, that'll be a good just get a job so that at least um erin was coming back she is a, a scientist and, and works had done work in labs at the hospitals and so she had already organized work before we got back into the country mm-hmm. uh and i just thought well if i get anything i can earn a few bob and then we can sort of decide what to do from there but mm. as luck would have it you know, joining the Mount Cook Group at that time, back in 87, it was going places. It was the biggest tour company in the country. And, yeah, I, I ended up working for them for nine years. Had a great time. Mm. Yep. Wow. Yep. Ended up running the leisure product area. So a lot of um, ski holidays and package tours, um, uh, fly drives in the days that, you know, were, that was when it was really new. You know, most people used to travel around the country back in, the early 80s and coach tours mm-hmm. um, and it was just starting to expand where people were starting to travel independently so yeah and I was part of a team of people that had a lot of fun doing that kind of work it was mm. it was great yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good and then just after the Mount Cook yep. experience you had nine years there you said yes sort of, uh, does that bring us up to back in call or is there no other no so that... there was a bit in between so I, I was at a level in in uh, in Mount Cook that I suppose um, because I'd come in in a sort of a reservations answer the phone make take bookings kind of role uh-huh. that I had felt that I was probably never going to get to the the next level which was sort of what I felt I was quite capable of and so I, I, I said to I made the decision it was probably time to leave and so I just I started looking around I went to a job consultancy places and just sort of put my name on the list and I got rung and there was a job on offer they thought I was an ideal for it so I went and applied Mm. and got it and that was as a marketing director for a car importer Mm. so this is back in the day that uh, Japanese 
secondhand cars were just starting to be imported into the country. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I joined a firm here, um, Integrity Wholesale it was at the time, and I ended up working for them for three years. Mm-hmm. They never had a marketing person. Mm-hmm. And so I just started a, a, a program to... Uh, strengthen what they were doing and, and start to um, present themselves in a far more unified way, mm. get some branding right, get messaging right. Yeah. You know, how are we going to treat people? Um, how's What's our response when we have problems with vehicles and that kind of stuff? And yeah, it was, it was, it was a really interesting exercise for me. Mm. But then I, uh, I got the opportunity through a friend who had uh, indicated that they were looking for somebody for a marketing role for about 20 hours a week and maybe I should start thinking about going and working for myself and mm-hmm. they could provide this job of 20 hours a week and that would be a good start and, and I thought, great. Mm. You know, I, I'd always like the, always liked the idea of working for myself and mm. and so I did that and then that job fell through so I was stuck out on with my own little agency called In A Nutshell and I did about... Um, Three years of that worked for myself. So the first year was pretty hard work. No, not a lot of income, mm-hmm. but you know, Aaron supported me in the the idea that I wanted to give it a go. Mm. And so you continued, even though that other thing had fallen. I'd already left the car yes. business, so yes. it was. And then when the other thing fell through, it was like I was sort of standing there, yeah. the emperor with no clothes, kind of yeah. thing. So it was just a matter of. Well, I'm I'm going to have to make it work, and yep, yep it worked. Mm. And then I I ran into a guy I had worked with at the Mount Cook Group, Tony Jimson, and um, and we struck up a. Um, I ended up renting an office from his business, and then as you know, a few things happened, and we ended up setting up a business together, Beck and Call, mm. in 2001. Yeah, mm. and what was Beck and Call's uh, primary? motive or you know what was it trying to do what what need was it meeting so our aim really we'd both uh, tony had worked in the marketing area at the mount cook group as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. and i suppose we both felt that at that time like it or not ad agencies were seemed to be focused on how much money could they get out of clients and could they get any awards by designing stuff there didn't seem to be, and I found this when I was with the Mount Cook Group and using ad agencies, uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of focus on will this make a difference to your bottom line? You know, What are your objectives? Mm. And will the marketing and the work that an ad agency does, will that actually right. assist Actually that? listening to the client and what their needs are. Mm. I know it sounds like a massive generalisation, mm. and I'm sure that there were plenty of ad agencies that weren't like that, but... Mm. The experience that I'd had was not overly great. And so Tony and I came into it with, we want to provide really good service. And we want to provide good design and good marketing support for for small and medium-sized businesses. So we didn't really have an aim to go out and, mm. and conquer a telecom or a, you know, get one of these, you know, Honda cars or whatever. Mm. Our aim was more to try and, and help small, medium-sized businesses, and at that stage in particular in the tourism industry Mm. because so many tourism businesses are ma and pa businesses, not a lot of staff, not a lot of money around, and we just felt that many of them with a little bit of just a small spend Mm. could smarten up their presentation of what they were 
putting out to the marketplace yep. and and lift the game and that it would help their bottom line as well. Mm. So, yeah, our aim was to sort of more go at small, medium-sized businesses and provide a really mm. high level of service, good design, and, you know, charge what we could, but, you know, be mindful of what the business that we were working for, mm. what could they afford to pay. Mm. And what are the what are the things that you think small businesses need to think about when they're coming up with the design and the presentation to the market? I think it's I think it's the same for anything really. Mm. You really want to stick to your knitting. Mm. If you're not a designer, then don't sit down with a piece of paper and start drawing mm. how you want your logo to look or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of like it's to understand where you fit in the process. And there is there there are people that are incredibly good at it. And yes. They may charge some money for it, but they'll take you know a tenth of the time that you will to do yeah. it and deliver you something that's 10 times better than what you'd ever come up with and will probably actually make a real difference to your business. Mm. And so it was just trying to get that sort of message across, really. Yeah. And it's the same with anything. It's like you know me trying to fit a window at home. I mean... Mm. Yeah, so know your limitations and be willing to call in experts to yeah. help you. Yeah. yeah. But often, I think with small businesses, it's very much bootstrapping and there's not enough money. And exactly. So therefore, I will design the logo. And, Correct. You know. And so what we tried to do was just to, um, and, and you know, it's not rocket science and mm. many people listening will, will know it already, you know, is just to build a relationship, mm. is to get alongside people, talk to them, find out what their issues are, yeah. and then make some suggestions. And try to be in a point where you're not endeavouring to sell your services to them, but you're endeavouring to make sure they're aware that your services are available, that it may not cost a fortune, you know, or what you might think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's have a discussion about it. And then maybe we could show you what we could do. And often when we did that, Mm -hmm. they would go, now I get it. Mm -hmm. And you get a little bit, you get your foot in the door a little bit and you give them some runs on the board i suppose and you know look and, out and then yeah they see the potential there don't yeah. they yeah, yeah yeah so you did that um up until middle of this year it sounds like because yep. so I, I, I was i was helping you with the sale of the business a yes, couple of months right. ago yep so, so yeah. back in about um uh, february march this year one of my clients mm-hmm. uh, i was in discussion about he had helped um, do some training for my staff uh for a couple of my sales staff and then um and just at the end of a phone call, he said, would you be interested in having a conversation about selling the business? And I suppose I was coming up to 60. Mm-hmm. Tony, um, my business partner, had had um, retired um, a few years ago um, after the earthquakes. And so I owned the business wholly. And I suppose I had always sort of thought, I wonder how I exit Right. You know, what's my exit strategy? Mm. And I didn't really have a clear picture as to how that might work. So it was another opportunity. To and this opportunity just came up. And I suppose that I, in discussion with Erin, I just sort of said, well, yes, it might be a bit early. It might be that I mm. I suddenly don't have a business and I don't have a job and I haven't quite turned 60, but this opportunity may never happen again. Right. And, and it's not that it's not sort of, I've got a grab at it or what have you, but it was just worth having the conversation. And uh, the the client, um, we, we we ended up having some very good conversations and I just mm-hmm. felt that he was he had the sort of values and I just felt I could trust leaving the business to him and I thought um, I was pretty sure that he would 
look after the staff well. Mm. Uh, not all the staff came across. Um, one of them uh, didn't, didn't, but all the other staff were kept on. And so that was a very big, a motivating mm. thing for me. Yes, I wanted to get you know a good return for the business, but mm. you know when you're selling something like a business, you've also got to recognise that you want to make it so that the new owner feels he hasn't been screwed to a certain extent, that mm. there is still something there that he'll be able to make mm. some money, you know, and get runs on the board early. Yeah. But for me, the big motivation was: will the staff be looked after? Will this guy? you know, honour what I'd done. Yeah, yeah. And, yep, I felt that that was the case. And so, yeah, we went we went through with it. So, yeah. Oh, that's yep. good. Yeah. So it, we've talked a lot about your life and what you've done through your career and things. Mm. I want to move now back to what we started the conversation with, yep. which was the prognosis and, you mm-hmm. know, um, where you're at and, and some of the things that you've learned from this. And yep. before we started the recording, we were talking about the prognosis. Mm. Um, and do you mind just sharing a little bit about that and and where you're at in that? Um, well, well, as I say, it's um, they say it's not survivable, mm. so it's it's just a time issue. So right now they've tried a range of different things, including some chemotherapy. Um, they we had a discussion with the radiotherapy guys. They um, have indicated that. In terms of the size of what I've got on the brain, it's just not worth, um, you know, there isn't really a great deal that they can do for me in that respect, that they can use radiotherapy to to do short-term bursts to my, maybe assist with quality of life if something goes wrong a little bit later down the track. We've tried chemo, uh, but what was chosen, uh, and, you know, you've got to trust the experts, and um, we had a couple of different drugs that they used, but um, on then having a, a scan after a couple of um, months, it just uh, it, there wasn't a gr- there was no difference mm. basically. So they said it wasn't working. So we've gone now with a new drug, Keytruda. So some people may have heard of it. It's had a lot of success with the cancer that's on the skin, mm-hmm. which is called I've just got a brain fade mm-hmm. melanoma. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some success with people who have got lung cancer, but mm-hmm. not um, not enough to have it funded at this stage. Mm. So we're funding that ourselves. And But the the slight sort of complication for me is that I've got the cancer is in the brain as well. Mm. And so whether it crosses over the blood-brain barrier, we're yet to find out. So yep. I have it every three weeks, and after four sessions, they've said they'll do a, a scan and, and assess. So yep. sort of living in a bit of limbo at the moment. Yeah. I'm a week in. I've had, you know, a week ago I had my first one. You know, I had quite a bit of tiredness after that for a few days, mm. up and down. And um, but you know, yeah, we're doing okay. Yeah, yep. I guess. Uh, well, I guess the the question on my mind is, um, you know, when you get this sort of news, what next? Yeah, what next? Well, um, one thing we haven't touched on through the whole thing is that I, um, I I've. I'm a Christian. I, I have quite a, a strong faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I came to it later. I mean, I had been at Christ College back in the day that we went. We had chapel every day, right. twice on Sundays. Right. If you didn't go, you got caned. That's a good way to convert people to Christianity. <laughs> That's a pretty good motivation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, and and Aaron and I um, had had gone to church, you know, on and off. I suppose mm-hmm. uh, certainly once the boys were born. 
mm. and we, we had them christened together, or you know, you know, not together, but I mean, we had them christened. Mm. Uh, but at some stage during, um, you know, Erin had had a few health issues, and she was um, out of the country with a friend for a wee while, and and um, we were just looking for a, another church that might suit the boys. And they were quite young kids at the time, and, and we'd gone across to St Christopher's and Avonhead and um, ended up being there for 20 years. Mm. But that's really where I came to faith. And so I suppose getting the prognosis, it was, it was I mean, it was devastating. There's no doubt about it. But I suppose one of the things that I kept thinking about was, you know, we don't have control of our lives we just you know in my view you know god's in charge and you know i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow Mm. and i don't know what the future holds but i just have to trust Mm. and so i i do have a great sense of peace about the whole thing Mm. i know where i'm going you know plenty of people may not believe that but i do and um and so um yep that's just one of those things. It's um, so that yep. faith has been a foundation for you to come back to. Yeah, to, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that doesn't mean to say that every now and then I don't get sad, mm. but I don't rail against it. You know, I don't stand there at night and sort of scream at the sky and mm-hmm. you know, why are you doing this to me, God? Mm-hmm. It's it's like it is what it is, and it's just you know, I'll I'll honour whatever whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. My faith is really simple. I mean, I've been involved in a few home groups and that kind of thing, and and um, in some of them, there's been you know quite sort of I don't know intellectual kind of discussions about what some words mean and this and that and the other. But for me, my faith is really simple. Um, you know, John three sixteen, and I can't I can't remember the exact mm. words, but you know that. You know, Jesus came to the world to save sinners, blah, blah, you know, whatever that mm. thing is. I'm sorry, I don't mean to belittle it, but, and I, and I just, I, I believe that, you know, mm. that, you know, for those that believe in him, you know, um, you'll be saved. And yeah. so. I think I know the words, which yep. is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him yeah. will not perish, but have eternal life. And that's about as simple as my faith is. Yes, I, I, you know, I read a little bit of the Bible, not every day. Mm-hmm. I don't, but but I, I, I just believe it, mm-hmm. and and it is it it has provided a, a lot of solace. I think through certainly these last uh, couple of months, just in that I I know where I'm going, mm-hmm. and you know, plenty of people may not believe that, but I do, and and not a lot will changed my mind on that <laughs> and so uh it, it has been uh i know I'm, I'm going to a better place and so yep I, I don't want it to finish here because i'm having a great time mm. but if it does well so be it you know we just have to um in in our respect you know Aaron and i trust in the lord and yeah yeah no i i hear you <laughs> i understand <laughs> yep yeah and what are some of the other things that you've learned, I guess, over the last two or three months? That Well, I've always known that family and friends are really important. And certainly we've been incredibly blessed with the way people have responded to it all. Mm. I mean, you know, lots of our friends offer to pray. And many have, have come around and want to, you know, do meals for us or do jobs. At the moment, we're, we're in a pretty good 
space. You know, I'm I'm active and mobile and what have you. Yep, mm. I get a bit tired, but you know, and I can't lift stuff too much the way I used to and whatever. But but yeah, um, spending time with people, it's 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 important. Mm. It's and it's good. Mm. It, it's 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 very humbling how we've been treated. Yeah. Mm. One of the questions I often ask people is, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what sort of advice would you give? Um, I'm just thinking, you know, back to your 20s, like when you were just in university. Is, yep. there, any, is there any sort of messages that you'd give to that version of yourself? Um, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure there is. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's one of those things that, like I said, I've just taken opportunities that have come around. Would I have wanted to have, you know, got a degree and then sort of gone into a job and stuck doing it for, you know, 40 years? I, I don't know. You know, for some people that is a, is a dream and, and it suits them and, it, and it's entirely what, you know, works for them. I, I don't know that it would have worked for me. So I'm not, I'm not overly sure that there are that many messages that I... Mm. You know, knowing what I know now, I mean, yep, I've done some dumb things, and you know, maybe just you know, every now and then, I suppose the message might have been every now and then, you know, think a little bit before you do some of those <laughs> dumb things. But right. but overall, you know, mm. no, I don't, mm. I don't, well, I don't have any sort of. I wish I'd known this when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I think mm. the the conversation that we've had has shown me that that you know, Derek, your friend, when you were twenty four, twenty five, mm. that accident that he had that really impacted you for the rest of your life it yeah absolutely like, you know, so yep. so that that answer makes sense you know yeah the messages i give my boys derek and jack is the same as what i sort of figured for myself when after derek was killed back in you know um 82 and that is just you know if you know take the opportunities that come don't be sort of overly you know I've got to plan my future from here to here to here to here. And for me, you know, I'd love my boys to be around and see them more often, but they're in London and I think it's fantastic. Mm. I honestly do. It's just they're out there, you know, in some respects living the dream. They're experiencing another culture. They're, in, you know, travelling a bit in Europe and, and seeing different cultures. And, and I think that that's one of the things that I valued about what Erin and I did was that it actually set us up that you you realize that New Zealand is a very small place and very insignificant I mean you know we have news reports at night where a cat gets brought down by the (laughs) you know off the trees by the thing or whatever you know those sort of stories there is so much more happening in the world Mm. and having been over early in our lives you just become more aware of that and you just you, I think you just have a different view of the world. It's mm. yeah. Mm. And can we dive a little bit deeper into the embracing opportunity? Mm-hmm. What is it that you think stops people from doing that? Uh, fear of the unknown is probably the number one thing. What if it doesn't work? And not everything that I've tried has worked. I've done a few jobs that didn't work out. You know, only lasted in them three months. And you know, when the when the time was up for a review, it, you know, the the business and myself basically sat there looking at each other going this ain't working so shake hands and you know hope you have a good life yes back in those days and that was sort of back in the late 70s and early 80s it was a lot easier to get a job you know I was never without work but I do think that those embracing the opportunities the the reason people don't do that is just fear of the what if 
Mm. What if it doesn't work? Mm. And I suppose the answer to that is, well, what if it does? Mm. I mean, who knows where you might go? Mm. And you mentioned messages to your children. Mm. Obviously, you've probably been talking with them a lot, you know. Yep. Um, Are there any other things that you're telling them, you know, passing on wisdom that you probably had thought you'd be able to tell over the next 15 or 20 years? Sure. You're kind of condensing it down, I guess. Is there any key themes or things? So the number one thing I I, I am trying to, and you know I think they get it is the message that my father gave me and that was that um, you go out to work and it's not all about making money that you need to as part of a community you actually have to give back and it's something I've tried to do pretty much through my time in terms of you know helping on you know cricket coaching or cricket committees and you know people you know we have so many kind of um, sports and organizations that are run by volunteers and and the only work if people stand up and and do their share and that's something my dad impressed upon me very early on when I was young that you've got to get out and and be part of your community and do your bit and that's what I've done through life I got very involved in in cricket I got very involved with my church I was you know on a board of trustees at a school you know I've done all sorts of that kind of committee stuff the ski clubs the this Mm. the that because I think it's incredibly important that people do that and that's the message to my boys is Mm. yep you know, enjoy your working life and, and, and make money and whatever, but it's not all about money. It's it's about being part of the community and doing your bit when you're not getting any money for it. Because mm. yeah. yeah. otherwise, our communities don't work. It's a great message to be getting out, I mm. think, more and more. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just in awe of you and your attitude. Um, and um, I have another question, which is... Um, thinking about the next generations, you know, grandchildren, yep. great-grandchildren. Yep. What would be your message to them? Yeah, the same kind of message, really. I suppose I, it's, it's, it's hard to sort of think that far ahead because who knows what the world will be like when, you know, my boys, you know, have grandkids if they're blessed with that or have, if they have kids mm-hmm. that would be our grandkids if, if, if they are blessed in that way. Um, because the world has changed so much, you know, just even in the last, you know, ten or fifteen years, this whole—I mean, it's just a—it's one—it's one of the blessings that we have that even though the boys are both in London, that we're we're able to, you know, bring them up. They're on—they're on a screen right in front of us. Yeah, we're talking to them. We can see them. Um, you just can't touch them. But it is amazing that whole technology thing, and you know, who knows where that's going? But, yeah. Um, the reason I asked that, and I'm probably going to start crying, but um, yeah. um, my wife, uh, her mother died when she was four years old, and right. we have no audio of oh, wow. her talking. <laughs> right. Okay. And so I've often thought, you know, what a legacy or what an amazing thing to yes. be able to hear somebody talking about their life, Yeah. which was one of the reasons I wanted to talk yes. to you because, yep. you know. So I have I have uh, been um, encouraged to do that. I've found that quite difficult. Mm. I mean, I even thought long and hard about coming to talk to you about this. But, yes. And I have I have started something, and I suppose um, to some extent, just in the way that you've couched the question and mm. and why I suppose that that it does mean I should. Yeah. 
well, I should get I mean, on and do yeah, something. One of yep. the reasons I wanted to do this was that I hope that this recording will one day be heard, you know, yeah. that, that um, because I know from my wife, she was only four, and so she doesn't really have the memory. Right. And, and because there's nobody had thought to, um, her, her mother had leukemia and, and yep. passed away, and, and she's gone. Um, she yep. was from New Zealand. And um, I've, I've often thought if only somebody had thought to take a tape recorder yeah, exactly. and just record her talking yeah. about her childhood or something. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, that, that's really the reason for the question. Yep. You know, what would you say to, to grandchildren? So Pretty much what, what mm. we've been saying here. Yeah. And, you know, just even answering the questions that you've asked about, you know, my life and, and whatever, it's a small piece, but mm. it's something that, you know, they'll be able to, to, to listen to and get a bit of a feel of who I was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's been a real pleasure to have you and, and talk with you. I, I just really appreciate your time. And I, I know, you know, it's hard to have the energy at this at this yep. time, but just to hear your story and, yep. and to hear what your whole life, it, it feels like that, you know, it's been consistent through your life that you've you've grabbed opportunities and you've taken them. And the idea that there's a you know a door opening now that that you're confident of what lies behind, and, mm. and I think yep. that listeners, I'm I'm hoping that they can take something from that 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 they also can look for those opportunities and and learn from you. So, yep. yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for um, sharing your time, sharing your story with us today. You're most welcome. Well, thank you for joining me today, and I hope you found the interview with John both as challenging and inspiring as I did. And my real hope here is that the story that he told would be a challenge for everyone who's listening to embrace life and to live it fully. Until next time.